Welcome to Madcasters. You have just tuned in to the difference makers of a new generation. If you're looking for that disciplined effort to change your life, or the inspiration to make a difference in your communities and the world, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. What's going on, everyone? It's your host, Brian St. Louis, BSL in the building, and I am so excited to have with us episode number five. Yes, we are here, and honestly, it's just feeling great. I'll be honest with you all, guys. It's It's been such a great journey. It's not been you know, easy in a sense, but it's been wonderful to, to get to connect with individuals, get to connect with some wonderful guests. And today, I must say, I have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Ajane Oliver. And before I even let her go, I must say, this is such a real, authentic, passionate individual. I found her Instagram page a few months back and just Everything that she gives us value to her to her followers, to her listeners. I just feel like we are going to be highly blessed in this episode. So once again, thank you so much for coming on to our show as listeners. But thank you, our special guest, Ajane. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and who you are? Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm super excited to share and just have a conversation with you and share with everyone who's going to be listening to this. So I am 26 years old. I'm currently living in Brooklyn, New York, but I'm originally from Bermuda. Um, So I was born in Bermuda, raised in Connecticut and bounced around quite a lot um, throughout my life um, due to severe abuse. So I have a severe abuse history. I was emotionally, physically, psychologically and sexually abused um, starting at the age of four. Those are my earliest memories of my abuse. And that abuse ranged you know, widely, you know, in abusers, it varied. My primary abuser was my mom, but I had multiple different abusers and that abuse didn't stop until I was about 20 years old when I was able to leave um, the, you know, kind of the source, the environment that I was in where a lot of the abuse was happening. So that's where my journey started. It started in a really rocky, hard, very dark place, but God is good. And he ultimately took me through a series of of things, you know, you're trapped in that cycle where you're kind of ignoring the voice of God. You're running in cycles, running from healing, running from dealing with the things that are going on inside of you. And that's what I was doing. And it got to a really, really destructive place where I had to face myself. I had to deal with everything that was happening inside of me. And that was a good thing. It didn't feel like a good thing when I got to that place, but it ultimately allowed me to be here right now to have this conversation with you. Um, I'm a full-time trauma recovery coach now. So Throughout that history, I picked up all the tools I needed to now help guide people into the same peace that I have. So it is a joy and an absolute miracle that I'm able to have this conversation with you right now. Wow. Well, thank you. It's, I mean, even the fact that you're able to come on and have this, uh, I mean, you you started off real with that authenticity. I told you people, you know, it's coming. Um, so <laughs> I, I really thank you for being that, that real with it uh, as soon as we came on. Would you mind kind of guiding us through a little bit of that journey, what that looked like? Um, because you said you you were you were being abused since how old now? Four. Like when was the, the first? Four. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was early. Wow. Okay. W- would you mind you know guiding us through that story, that journey between the ages of four to twenty years old? 
I moved to Connecticut when I was about six weeks, seven weeks old. Um, my biological father was imprisoned. So when I was about six weeks old, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison for a shooting felony. So my mom, um, they weren't married when she was pregnant with me when she had me. So, you know, he got locked up and she decided she had to move on with her life. So she got married um, at 18 years old. She got married and moved us to Connecticut. And that was where he was from. So that's how I ended up in Connecticut. And the home that we moved into was very, very volatile. So there was constant domestic violence going on in that house. And um, the grandmother of the man that she married was taking in foster children. And one of the people that she took in was a teenager at the time and also had a super um, intense trauma history, which is how we know hurt people hurt people, right? So that foster child is actually was my first abuser. So I was being sexually abused by a woman. Um, she was about 16, 17, I believe, at the time when she started molesting me. So that was going on for a while. And those are my earliest memories in that home. And they are very, very vivid. So I remember everything from the color of the sheets to the paint on the walls. They're just very, very vivid memories um, of that. And my mom was extremely psychologically and emotionally abusive. So she was actually aware that I was being sexually abused that entire time. Um, and you know, just because of the fact that she was psychologically abusive, there were a lot of other things that happened even once, you know, they were divorced and we moved out of that home. I was still living with her for most of my life. So there were a number of toxic relationships that were happening, cycling in and out of that space all of the time. And I was being abused in all of those environments. So it was really, really rough. So on top of having that going on at home, obviously those issues spill over right into everything else. So school was hard for me, you know, Bullying was a thing that I had to go through. It was just very unstable everywhere. School wasn't safe. Home wasn't safe. It was just very unstable and very chaotic. And her psychological abuse resulted in a lot of moving. So I went to over 12 different schools, lived at so many different addresses. So I was being bounced back and forth between countries. So we would sometimes be in Connecticut. I would start school. And then two weeks later, we would pack up and move to Bermuda. And a couple of times we moved to England and it was very sudden. So there's memories I have vividly of when I was about 13. That was probably the most dramatic time. We moved into a new house in Bermuda. We painted, set our bedrooms up, bought a bunch of groceries, filled the fridge, went to Connecticut for a week, didn't come back. So left a whole brand new house with groceries in the fridge and brand new rooms painted and just never went back to it. So when I say moving around a lot, it was very, very chaotic and very unstable. So I was constantly being ripped away from one environment and kind of thrown into the next. And all of them were very unhealthy. Yeah. What what was the the reason to, to moving to England from from Connecticut? So my mom, because of the state of her mental health, was always trying to find a way around having to be independent. So she would move in and out of relationships where she didn't have to work. So the reason for the moving was because we couldn't just stay in America because she had no way to support us without getting a job. So she would move to places where there was better benefit. So England was one of the places where she could collect kind of, you know, government benefit and not really have to work. So the, the moves were constantly a way around that. So when she couldn't figure out our situation in one place, we would move to another. And that was kind of just the constant back and forth. So every time one opportunity would fall through where she could just kind of coast, we would move again. So that was what I saw growing up. And I didn't realize that my situation wasn't normal until people started asking me questions that I didn't have answers to. Like, why doesn't your mom work? And why are you guys always leaving? 
And I was trapped in this world with her of thinking that everything she told me was true. So at that point, I didn't understand that I was being psychologically abused. I had really no idea. I knew that I was angry. I knew that I felt very unsafe, but I didn't believe that it was because of her. I thought it was because of everyone else, because that's the story I was being told. It's because your dad's not here and it's because, you know, the government and it's because we can't afford things. And I didn't actually start piecing things together until I was in my like late teens. That's when everything started to really become very clear to me. But at that point, I was just so unhealthy myself, just having from been in that environment for such a long time. So I was very, very violent. I was very angry, very bitter like that. You know, someone with a chip on their shoulder is like an understatement. So I was very manipulative, extremely dishonest. I was just like a ball of chaos because of all the chaos that I had been absorbing for such a long time. So the last time that we moved to England was right after I graduated high school. I turned 18 and we moved to England and that's when things really hit like a rock bottom. So the abuse was like at an all time high and I ended up homeless. She actually um, kicked me out about two to three weeks after we moved to England and um, my aunt took me in, but my aunt is um, mentally unstable and that home was also not safe. So I moved into that home um, with my aunt. She was married at the time and I was being abused there. I was being drugged. Um, Her husband at the time was a heavy, heavy drug user and drug dealer. He's actually in prison now. Um, So that was also not a safe environment and I had to leave that space as well and I ended up homeless. So that was kind of like the crux of that abuse coming to a point where I literally just didn't have anywhere to go. So I had to make a decision. So I finally called my grandmother, her mom, and I finally broke the silence on everything that had been happening because I knew that something was not normal about what was happening to us. And although I was terrified of what would happen if I said something or if I was nobody was even going to believe me, I didn't really have a choice at that point. I had to say something. And my grandmother like immediately booked me a flight to Bermuda and I packed up all my stuff and I moved in with her. So that was me leaving that environment really for the first time and having like anywhere even remotely safe to go. So that was when I moved to Bermuda. That was in 2015 that I moved to Bermuda um, to live with my grandmother. And that was like the first safe space that I really had. There was no, there was no violence. There was no chaos. And it was such an adjustment because I was so used to that being the baseline that it was uncomfortable. You would think it would be relieving, but it was not relieving because I had so much bottled up inside of me and I had no idea how to process it and I had nowhere to put it. So I put on an act. I was finally able to get an education. So I was going to school and I was always academically inclined. So I was getting great grades and I ended up getting in a relationship. I actually got engaged, jumped right into a relationship, which is what a lot of us do when we don't know how to process the things that we should be processing on our own. And that relationship was not abusive, but just very unhealthy. You know, I was with someone that I just wasn't compatible with. We were very young and I had a lot of issues. So that relationship went on for about four years. And as soon as it ended, I jumped right into another one. And that one was a domestic violence relationship with a police officer. And that was in 2018. So that relationship was like God running a train through my whole operation. That was God being like, you're going to deal with what's going on inside of you at one point or another, because that was probably the most destructive place I have ever been in. So I had had, you know, a number of emotional issues over the years, but I was also an alcoholic. 
And that kind of hit an all-time high inside of that domestic violence relationship. So there was one night specifically um, that he chased me in a car and I ended up in the emergency room. And that was the night that I was like, okay, I have to do things. I can't do this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to even start addressing how much is inside of me, but I can't do things the way that I've been doing it all this time. And I literally remember a voice saying to me, this will kill you. If you keep going, this is going to kill you. You have to stop. So I moved out of his house. I moved back in with my grandmother because I'd been living with um, this person. I moved back in with my grandmother and I got a restraining order which was, I'm sure you can imagine, really um, unnerving. Getting a restraining order against a police officer is very uncomfortable and very awkward, um, but did that. And I started what I would call like a real healing journey, actually sitting with all of the uncomfortable parts of myself. And it was hell. It was hard to actually face that all of these things had really happened. And it was hard to take the accountability for a large part of what had happened, which is mm. one of the things I think most people struggle with. We love to talk about how other people have hurt us and what's happened to us and what wasn't fair. And we skipped the entire part of the story where we made choices because that was where I found the most healing was in my accountability that a lot of the things that wow. I had experienced were because I made choices. So no one deserves to be abused at any point. Abuse is never okay. And I do not condone it, but when you get to a point where you are choosing the relationships that you are in, you are walking into a situation willingly. And whatever happens to you inside of that space is absolutely, you're, you have to be accountable for it because no one's forced you into that space. So that was one of the things that I had to face about myself. While this person had been extremely abusive, I chose them. So then I started asking myself very, very hard questions. Why? I started asking myself, why did you choose Homogene? Why would you choose someone that treats you like this? It was the only thing I knew. You chose someone that treats you like this because you think that this is love. Why do you think that this is love? So now we were getting to the good stuff. Why do you think that abuse is love? Because abuse is the only thing you know. So now my mind was starting to connect dots that if I think abuse is love, it's because it's the only thing I've ever known. What if I change what I know? Would that change how I think? Would it change what I choose? And that's what I started doing. I started peeling back the layers of everything I thought I knew. And I started replacing it with things that I had never tried. And that is where I started to see a significant change in my life. And God was right there the entire time because his template is the only template that works. It's the only template that is unblemished. Everything else is broken. Everything else is flawed. So I started studying what does love really look like? What is love? What's good love? What's bad love? How do we even know? And I was very academically inclined, like I said. So I was ready to challenge everything under the sun. And God was one of those things right. that I was like, oh, you're going to have to really prove to me that you're real. Because based on my life, I was like, there is no God. You couldn't convince me that there was a God because there couldn't be a God if I was going through all of these things. And I remember right. being like, all right. I'm opening up a conversation. I remember the first thing that I felt in my spirit was humility. And it was so uncomfortable because I had never felt it before. I literally felt myself saying, all right, so if you're real, you show me. You tell me how you're real. You explain to me how this makes any sense at all. And he was like, don't you not know what you're doing? Don't you have no idea where to even start? But you're asking me to explain myself to you. You, who is sitting in the middle 
of the decisions that you've made. You, who is sitting in a pile of your own destruction, are asking me to explain myself to you. And then I had to start asking myself, this voice, the same one that's asking me that question right now, have I heard it before? Yeah. Mm. I heard it before when counselors at school would ask me what's going on at home. I heard it before when I was drinking and a voice would say, maybe you should stop. I heard it before when I would read things like, hey, it's really important to take self-care and spend time alone. I had heard the voice before. So his voice had been there the entire time saying, you're not doing this right. And I think there's a better way you could be doing this. And I ignored it. So here I was in the middle of a pit saying, throw me a ladder and get me out of this. And then when he pulled me up over the ladder to the top, I had the nerve to get up there and be like, why didn't you throw me that ladder sooner? And a lot of people Mm. do that. A lot of people do that. So I approached him with humility. You know what? You're right. You obviously have been here the entire time. You obviously have been whispering things in my ear the entire time. And I'm the one that's been ignoring you. So how about you just tell me who you are and I'll just accept it like I've never heard it before. I'll just accept everything you tell me as truth and as fact. Because if I've been trying everything else, I might as well try this. A lot of people will avoid God and they'll avoid including him in their healing process. But logically, if you have tried everything else, why would you not try this? If you're that desperate to be whole, if you're that desperate to be full, if you will throw yourself off a bridge for people that treat you like crap, if you will fill yourself with substances that make you feel like crap, why not try him? It's only just one other thing you could check off the list. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So I tried it and it worked. Every single thing that he told me to do, it worked like a charm and it worked rapidly. So I started just reading a Bible verse a day. I started incorporating some self-care, spending a lot more time in prayer, just being more honest and accountable and vulnerable about my story and my truth. And I saw rapid change. I got sober. I was able to distance myself from all of the abusive relationships. So get out of the cycle with my mom, get out of the cycle with exes. And then magic started to happen. And now I know that that is the hand of God. It's not just, you know, it's not a sprinkle of blessings. It's not, oh my God, that's just the result of your hard work. It was literally direct divine intervention. So the second that I decided to close the relationships officially with my mom and with my biological father, I got a phone call from a man claiming to be my biological father saying that he believed he'd been my father for 25 years and that he had been trying to get in contact with me the whole time and that my mom was not having it. Wait. So, of course, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, okay, so the, so the guy now who was from, who was in, or was in prison from the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. He might not necessarily be your father. Right. So now I'm sitting here like, okay, let me, let me just, let me make a quick decision right here and right now. What do I think about this? Right. What do I objectively think about what the information I'm getting right now? And my brain was like, well, that's always been my dad, but that person was also never really in my life. And when he was, he was in a good influence. And I had a different, like I had a stepdad who basically, you know, was around for most of my life and he was great, but I had never even entertained the idea that someone else could be my dad, but I also knew my mother and I knew Mm. that there was nothing under the sun I could put past her because of what I had experienced. And something said, just, just see, just see what's the worst that could happen. So I decided to meet him. I actually got on a flight to New York with my grandmother 
to meet him and take a test and kind of hear his story and see what was going on. And I remember we decided to meet at a cheesecake factory somewhere public because I was like, what if he's crazy? So (laughs) we decided we were going to meet at a cheesecake factory. And he walked in and I knew it was him the second that he walked in because we looked exactly the same. And it was so weird. My grandmother was like, she was like, oh, my God, because I was always told um, that I looked like her and like no one else. Nobody knew, Mm. you know, where do you get your bone structure from? And I was always, you know, the creative one. And there was always, there were always things about me that just didn't seem like they quite fit into everyone Mm. else. And he walked in and I looked at him and I felt like I was staring at my own reflection. And it was the strangest feeling I have ever felt. We sat down and he started telling me the story of how he met my mom. And he remembered the exact date that he believes I was conceived he remembered the, the the due date that I was supposed to be born. He just remembered everything. And I just sat there kind of just like in, it just felt very surreal to, to listen to this person that looked exactly like me tell me that he believed he was my father. And the way that he spoke was also very jarring for me because he was very warm. He kept saying, I've been looking for you. And he told me that he was married. He had no other kids and that, you know, his wife was so supportive of him coming to meet me because he told her when they first started dating, I I believe I have a daughter somewhere in the world. And I think one day I'm going to find her. And I was just sitting there, like, just feeling a lot of different things, feeling um, warm, feeling very seen, but also feeling very pissed because here I was, I had this long abuse history and the father that I did have contributed to that and and just was never a support system. And here was this man who actually wanted me, who was actually willing to take on a responsibility that he didn't have to. He didn't have to come looking for me after all those years, but he wanted to because he felt like it was his responsibility to. And he didn't know anything about my story. So when he said, so, you know, I know this is probably a weird question and it's not enough to give me in a nutshell, but like, what has your life been like? And I remember my grandmother looked at me and she was just like, here we go. (laughs) Unpack it for him. And he looked so heartbroken the entire time that I was talking because, and I can't imagine what he was feeling. You find your daughter after all this time and it's already going to be, you know, hard to to repair a relationship like that. But to now know that it was also so traumatic was just, it was hard for him to hear. But I just remember God saying to me something that he kept saying to me throughout the entire time I was being abused and throughout the entire time that I was going through so many crazy situations throughout my life. I always heard the same thing. I know the plans I have for you. And I remember always Mm. saying, what is that? I had no idea how to place it. It just was something I was always hearing. And I heard it again as he was talking. And then I remembered Because when we got back to Bermuda and I walked in my grandmother's house, there was a plaque on the wall in her very, very nice living room. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you. And it's Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It's a Bible verse. And I had seen it before and I believe it resonated before. But there were moments when it just re-resonated. It just resonated all Mm -hmm. over again. And that was the moment that it clicked. And I was in tears because I finally understood why all of those things had happened to me. I kept asking God, I'm going to trust you. You're taking me through a healing process. And now this dramatic thing has happened where this man is in my life. So you must be real. 
you must have known that these things were going to happen to me ahead of time. And you must have not caused them because you're not the person that causes misery and pain, but you allowed it to happen because you knew that it was going to alchemize into something that would be better than where I am right now. So I was convinced at that point, I didn't care what happened. I didn't care what happened after that point. I was prepared to walk into whatever God told me to. And it was a good thing that I felt that way because the DNA test that we took came back negative. Whoa. The test came back negative. And he called me right when we got the results. We both got the results at the same time. And I was at work and he called me and he was like, I'm devastated. And and then he said to me, you know, I know I'm your father. But if you feel like you need that scientific proof, then I respect whatever role you think I should be in in your life. I'll respect that or if you don't want me to be in your life, but I know that I'm your father. And I remember just this feeling and I don't even know how to describe it, but it wasn't anxiety and it wasn't devastation. It was a peace because I knew that he was my father. And I remember hearing God's voice so loudly saying, do you believe that I am God? Do you love me and do you trust me? And I still ask myself those two questions every time he shows me something. Do you love me and do you trust me? Because if I believe that you are who you say you are, then that means that I believe in the God that made the sun. That means that I believe in the God that raises the dead. That means that I believe in a God that can part a sea. And that means that I believe in a God that says, I know who your father is. And if I tell you that this is your father, then he's your father. And if man made something tells you that he's not, where is your faith? And I was like, I know that you're my dad. And that, I think, was a test of my faith. And as I responded to it um, correctly, because I chose him, and we decided we were going to build a relationship regardless of what that test said. And it has been the most beautiful experience ever. So where I am in Brooklyn, New York right now, I'm in his house. So I live with him right now currently. Okay. So our relationship, it's beautiful. It is It's beyond anything I could have ever imagined, but it's also everything I ever imagined. It's, it's like God, Mm -hmm. he took all my dreams and he took every prayer that I whispered and he took everything that I wanted as a child and he put it in this person. And then he didn't give this person to me until exactly when I was actually going to need him. And it was such a relief to be able to walk through this process of getting to know him. And it's just been, it's just been so healing for me, but that happened him coming into my life. And I decided I was going to get baptized because I'm like, God, you're moving in a way that is just at this point, I have to be fully convicted. Like I needed to be publicly known that I belong to you and that I'm going to just, I'm going to live a completely different lifestyle. So I got baptized and I got baptized right before the pandemic, you know, went into like full flare. So a few days right after I got baptized, Bermuda went into lockdown and I was kind of like, okay, Lord, like what's next? Cause this is getting really, this is getting really dramatic. Right. But I trusted him and he was like, it's time for you to start sharing your story. All these things that you've seen happen, all your story is time for you to start telling people about what I've done for you, where you were. Mm. And you got to tell the whole story. You can't cut out the parts that don't make sense to other people. You can't cut out the parts that are ugly or uncomfortable or dark. You got to tell the whole story and you got to do it publicly. And I was terrified. I was like, are you insane? I had lived this like false life in every place I had lived in, pretending that my life was together on social media, traveling. I was engaged, you know, my engagement that I was in, like I had lived this whole fake life in front of the world. And now you want me 
to get in front of the world and not only tell them that all of that I'm doing this lifestyle change, but you also want me to tell them that the whole time they saw me living my best life that I was lying. <laughs> and you want me hmm. to tell them all of my trauma history and all of the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And he right. was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And I was like, you know what? Heard you <laughs> because I know what it's like to disobey you. I know what kind of destruction mm. happens when I don't do what you tell me to do. So this time I'm going to do what you tell me to do because doing what you've told me to do has got me to where I am right now. So I'm just going to continue on that path. And I opened up, I started a public Instagram page and I was like, all right, Mm -hmm. sis, here we go. (laughs) I created a blog and I was like, all right, this is it. I started sharing my story, just articles about what I had been through and some of the things I had learned from that. And God was like, no, we're going to take it a step further. I think that it's time for you to actually walk people through this healing process. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? He's like, you're going to do it. You're going to be like a coach. You're going to do therapy. You're going to give counseling to people. And I'm like, I'm not qualified to counsel (laughs) people. I just crossed the bridge. Now you want me to walk other people over the bridge? And then I read a Bible verse that said, who he calls, he qualifies. Yeah. And he's always so direct. And I always read his word. And I'm like, you don't have to be this dramatic with me. He's like, yes, I do. So he, I read that and I was like, all right. So I created a program. I designed a program and I picked a date and I was like, all right, I'm launching this thing. And whoever responds to it, they must be responding to the Holy Spirit because I don't know how this is going to work. I launched it and that program completely sold out and filled a wait list all the way into the end of this year. So I launched that program in June. I had no savings. I was just coming out of all this abuse and all this crazy, you know, this healing process. I had quit my job right before the pandemic. So I had no idea what I was going to do next. And I launched that program and it completely sold out. And I made more money than I have ever made in my entire life. And that is now still what I do full time. So that obedience is so important and accountability is so important. So those are the two biggest things I would say came out of that journey for me. Obedience and definitely accountability. They go hand in hand. Wow. Um, as as I must say, I'm your whole story is I mean, you got me through multiple types of like <laughs> roller coasters as I'm mm. listening to the whole whole story. And I could just, I mean, I can't even imagine that you lived that, right? That's something that you had to go yeah. through yourself in order for you to to be the person that you are today. Um, but I mean, thank God that you are here, right? You're here now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's showing the fact of how God's grace, his love can hold people even through some of the most traumatic experiences of their lives. And I just want to say thank you again for having the the bravery the um authenticity to to share this story because it's not easy to share um mm-hmm. like what you just shared to all of us here today that's not easy to share it in any way shape or form however uh, i know god has given you strength to do so and i and i know that mm-hmm. you've been you know working through your life in order for you to be at, at that place right now um i i guess i i have if you don't mind, I have some questions. Were, were there people mm-hmm. in those times who who were able to see that you were going through some traumatic experiences, and were they were they did they step up in in, in that sense, or did you kind of block off any individual who was who was asking those type of questions or trying to to figure things out? 
The sad thing is, is that I can count on one hand the number of people that ever actually inquired about what was happening to me. Um, And they were all professionals. So when I was in high school, there were two guidance counselors that um, Mm -hmm. they were asking a lot of questions because they were saying, all right, her academics are perfect, but her behavior is extremely erratic. So when I was in high school, I started having panic attacks in the middle of classes. You know, my it was clear that there was something going on and they just could not figure it out. So I had two guidance counselors that were like, nah, something's not right. And they were very um, vocal about trying to figure out what was going on. Um, They actually recommended a crisis team for me in order for me to graduate high school. Um, And I was recommended to see a therapist that I only saw um, a few times because then my mom took me out of therapy, um, of course. Really? So, yeah. So that was the, that was the only time that people actually, you know, stepped up. There was no one in my family that, um, that interceded for me or, you know, anything like that. So even when I moved in with my grandmother, she provided a safe space. She was always very, um, she was very non-judgmental. She was, even when I was like drinking mm-hmm. and just going through everything I was going through, she never, she was never harsh with me. She never scolded me. She just held space, but she also didn't stand up for me. Um, no one did. Mm. So part of why, hey, you know, you a lot of people always ask me. Like what, what does that mean? Yeah. They didn't stand up for you exactly. So no one ever boldly addressed my mother and still to this day, mm. no one ever, no one, no one, no one acknowledges the fullness of what I've experienced to the point where some people will still mm. say to me, you know, have you considered reaching back out to your mom? You know, just, there's no acknowledgement of my story. And if there wow. is, it's always, we're so proud of how far you've come. We're so proud at what, of what God has done with your life. And, you know, but no, there was no boundary ever set for me. I was very unprotected and I was very unheard. So, um, and, and it's still like that now. Um, and I just, it took a long time for me to get to a point where I could actually be forgiving for that mm. because generational trauma is a real thing. So Absolutely. people are not, not standing up for you because they don't want to. They're not not standing up for you because they agree with what's happening to you. They're not standing up for you because they have not been taught how And if they have an inkling of how they are too terrified because of their own trauma history to do anything about it. So you you can't expect someone to set boundaries for you that doesn't know how to set them for themselves. So, Mm. you know, my grandmother, while she is extremely loving and she would jump in front of a bullet for me, boundaries, foreign concept. If it's not taught to you, you won't know it. And if you see it somewhere else, you're going to be like, what is that? So it's not even like it's something you can pick up by being around it if it's, you know, completely contrary to everything you've been taught your entire life. So there are a lot of people that are angry at their parents, angry at the people that hurt them. And, you know, it's a cycle. Brokenness is something that has existed since the first marriage, since the first humans. And it is ridiculous and unproductive to think that you can actually spend your lifetime trying to get people to do something that most of them just will never learn how to do. And that's where I got to a point where I'm like, I can't keep trying to convince people to do something they either don't know how to do, aren't equipped to do, or are just unwilling to do. I have to just do it for myself. So I learned how to set boundaries. And that's what a generational cycle breaker is, right? Like if nobody else has learned how to do it, I'm going to be the first. I'm going to show you guys what it looks like to set a boundary. You guys don't want to acknowledge what abuse is or how much it's running rampant through our family. That's okay. I'm going to tell the whole world about it. (laughs) I'm doing that right now. I'm going to tell the whole world about what happened. I'm going to hold space for people that have been through the same thing. And I'm going to create more cycle breakers because of what happened to me. So, 
she was never, you know, very protective. A lot of people weren't protective, um, but God is good. And a lot of people ask me like, how are you so blindly obedient? Like, how do you not get scared? How do you not doubt? Mm. And my answer is always, there is no greater love. Why would I doubt him? Who else Mm. has fought? Who else has fought a battle for you like God? Who else knows you the way that God knows you? Who else got up on a cross and died for you? There is no one in this entire universe that has ever loved you the way that he loves you. And the only thing he wants you to do is love him back. That's it. And the way that you do that that is through obedience. That's it. That's so... That's so beautiful. I, I don't know. Every time I think about the love of God, there's nothing that that holds me back from wanting to to get closer to him. Because all he, like you said, all he asks is that you love him back. He, he's not even That's asking it. that you have to do this and this and that. And we think that we have to do so much for God. He's just asking for your heart. That's I, it. When I learned that truth, it changed, it changed my entire world. I was like, wait a minute. So you're, you mean to tell me you're going to give me a whole new life, a whole new heart, Mm -hmm. a whole new, a whole new space to start from. You're going to forgive me and wash me clean of every single thing I've ever done. You're going to bless me. You're going to prosper me. And you also know that because I'm imperfect, I'm probably 95% of the time going to miss the mark and you're still going to protect me. You're still going to stand up for me. You're still going to give me eternal life. All I have to do is love you back. That's it. It's like, where do I sign? And why have I never been presented with this offer before this plainly? It was like, what other choice would I would be logical for me to make? The only thing I have to do is just try. I just got to wake up and actually just put in some effort. And that's, that's good enough for you. And that is so contrary to the love that most of us know. Most of us know conditional love. You got to earn it. You got to chase it. You got to fight for it. And God is the only source of love that says, all you got to do is wake up and breathe. And even that I do for you. Mercy. Even that I do for you. You You're not even in control of the breath in your body. I will breathe for you. I will fight for you. I will choose for you. I will do everything for you. All you have to do is just rest in my love and your life is going to look totally different. And as soon as I took hold of that, it's like I'm clinging to it for dear life. So you can't you can't convince me to to stray out of his love. And the devil can't convince me that I could ever fall outside of his grace because I know that that's That's a lie now. So it, it changes right. your whole way of approaching things. I can forgive my parents and I can forgive the people that have harmed me because I know that they're just dealing with the results of the brokenness that's also happened to them. So what I do is I pray for them because if God can deliver me, he can deliver you. Mm. So that's, that's our responsibility for the people that have harmed us. You set your boundaries, keep a healthy distance. If that's what you need to do, keep yourself safe. But you keep the people that have harmed you in prayer. Because you want them to be delivered right. too, so that right. they can stop hurting other people. So we That's we have real. to disrupt the cycle in us, but you also want to pray that it's disrupted in other people. So there's breakthrough that happens down the line because of your obedience. So my grandmother, her marriage was unhealthy. I saw healing and restoration happen in just the last month because wow. of my obedience. So God will use your obedience and he will uproot everything around you and heal it and restore it. If you're obedient. So some of the people that are like, well, I cut my family off and I left because they're abusive. I did that too. But once you have your healing, once you have your peace, it's time for you to start praying for those people because you want that same Mm. peace you have to drip over into that space so that everybody can get some peace. It's not just for you. And that's why I have these conversations and I do these kinds of things because the glory is not for you. He didn't save you for yourself. 
he saved mm. you so that you can go back and save other people. Like you're, I didn't get delivered for me. That's too small for God. Deliver, deliver you for you. And then what? What happens after that? So a lot of people are very self-serving. You know, you overcome this history and you champion through this pain and you're just standing on this mountaintop now proclaiming your victory and nobody knows who gave it to you. Nobody knows who walked you through that darkness. Nobody knows who wiped your tears. Nobody knows who picked you up. And then you also aren't picking other people up. So what was the point? And I made a promise to myself, I'm not going to waste Jesus's persecution. I'm not going to waste the fact that he got up there and did that so I can have this. And I'm definitely not going to waste my deliverance. What's the point if I waste it? What, What will it be if it just ends with me? It's not good enough. Not for him. And it's not good enough for me. So for so for you right now, you you've gone through so much traumatic experiences. You've you've been able to be delivered from that, and, and you give all credit to to Jesus Christ. And so now, it goes from your blessing to blessing others. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that's that's very um, because. Because look, even the, in, even the fact that we're, what we're talking about here with Madcasters, right? We're talking about making a difference. I, I feel mm-hmm. like you perfectly embodied um, both both categories of what we speak about here. We're talking about making that personal development difference, right? Uh, let that be spiritual. Mm-hmm. We talk about spirituality. We talk about you know finances and and um, you know uh, health and wellness and everything of the sort. But you you've come from this place of of darkness. And you found the light, right? Uh, Jesus has mm-hmm. blessed you, has changed you, and from here, mm-hmm. not out. That was your personal growth. That was your own personal mad going mad, right? You made a difference in your life. Jesus mm-hmm. made that difference in your life, and so now you're going mad for other people. And and mm-hmm. that to me, I think that, like that changes the whole perspective now because it's not just about you, but it's about how you can help someone else go along their journey too. And I mean, Absolutely. if I, you know, if I'm, as I'm looking through your Instagrams, I'm looking through your, your uh, website, you know, you have so much to give to other people. You have um, a lot of, it seems like you have a lot of courses. You have a lot of, um, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, can you, can you walk us through like what is everything that you actually do offer in, in that sense of, of trauma recovery? Yeah. So um, the program that I designed, the one that is most popular is called Relationship Reset. So it's an eight week intensive program. So I saw a lot of um, programs when I was looking around, like, you know, what are people, what are people gravitating towards for their healing? What are they looking at? And therapy, I found, I basically looked at all the things that were, that did, that wouldn't have worked for someone like me. And I edited it. So I said, you know what, you can't just come in to somebody's office and sit with them once a week. That's not good enough. So I designed my program with twice a week sessions um, and then daily text access. So at the beginning of the week, my clients will see me for an hour and a half. And at the end of the week, they see me for a 30 minute check in. They also get text access to me every single day because I was like, you know what? Jesus was very personal. He was a personal savior. He didn't just give you a template to follow or an ebook to download. He walked you through that thing hand in hand. And I was like, that's what I want to give to people because I needed that. So I'm going to walk them through this hand in hand. I'm not your counselor or your therapist. I'm just your person. I'm the person that's holding your hand. So I structured the time like that. And then I said, you know what? This has to have a goal. I'm tired of hearing people say I'm on a healing journey. I'm on a healing journey. 
What does that mean? What are you actually trying to achieve on this journey? So the program has a structured teaching for every single week. So top to bottom, we're not just going to talk about your abuse history. We're not just going to talk about your addiction. So I go through top to bottom, every single thing about their history. So we start with building presence. We dig through whatever is stored in their subconscious mind. We go through their childhood, their parenting dynamics, what kind of parenting and family dynamic you got and how that's contributed to the way that you're showing up. Then we deal with the fear of rejection. We deal with control. We deal with anxiety and depression. We go through boundary setting. So you get tangible, actual skills taught through the entire thing. And every single week has a spiritual application because I absolutely refuse to give anybody mental and emotional health tools with no Jesus because I know that it didn't work. I did it for you. I tried it. It didn't work. I'm not giving it to you like that. So with every single week, there's a spiritual application. So when we talk about parenting dynamics, we also talk about the fact that God is a parent. So a lot of modalities I've seen, they describe this idea of what's called reparenting, where you basically start teaching yourself how to re-raise you, the inner child version of you, how to give yourself the things that you didn't get in childhood. I put a spiritual flip on that because I believe that Christianity is reparenting. I believe that it's the only kind of reparenting that works because if you are an imperfect human being, you can't perfectly parent yourself, which means that you're sometimes still going to run out of answers. You're still going to run out of knowing what to do. And God is perfect. He's the only perfect parent we've ever had. So there's always a spiritual application for every single thing so that you get the tangible mental and emotional work. And then you also get a spiritual foundation that also makes it sustainable because when you complete your eight weeks, you have something that you can rely on outside of a human being. If you have a relationship with God, you are going to be okay without me without another therapist, without a book, without a podcast, you are going to be just fine because now you have an intimate relationship with the only person that can actually deliver you from anything. So I wanted to give people that because that's what he gave me. So the program is structured to give you everything you need inside of a safely co-regulated container. And when they finish, they also get maintenance. So all of the people that have graduated from my program, they get maintenance afterwards. So if there's a specific thing we need to work on, I structure a custom fitted program for that immediately after they complete their eight weeks. So if they need to walk through another four weeks or six weeks of a focus area, we do that. I also disciple them during that time because that's a command that he did. He gave go and make disciples. So you don't get to serve yourself after you work with me. That's not a thing, because if you actually achieve healing, you are going to naturally want to go and give it to somebody else. That's what the Holy Spirit will do to you. So you get your healing. Now what you going to do with the overflow you got? Because I'm not giving you healing so that you can walk around glorifying yourself. That's not what he did with me. I'm not doing that with anybody else. So people get discipled during their maintenance. So they will be taught things like, what are your spiritual gifts? What is your authentic identity and your purpose? We we dig that out. What are you actually supposed to be doing now that you know who you are and who you're not? Now that you're whole and you're walking through a process of constantly being renewed and revived and rebirthed, what are you supposed to be doing? What did he put you on the earth for? And how do I help put you in a space where you can do that effectively? So you get all of that inside of when you work with me. So, so, wow, that, that's a lot. First of all, I think that's uh, mm-hmm. it's extensive. It's, it's definitely very helpful uh, for someone who's coming through to that. What, what did you, did you go to school to have, or, or what was the education behind all of all of this that you that you're able to to offer to individuals 
That is what I think is most amazing about this. I get asked that question a lot. I did not receive any formal education at all to do what I'm doing. I didn't do a certification program. I didn't literally everything that I'm teaching is literally what I directly received from him. My lived experience on top of the research that I do on my own. And I was actually struggling with that during the first few weeks. I was like, God, are you sure about this? Because people people got certifications out here to be life coaches. Like, are you sure? And I actually was disobedient and I found a program and I was like, okay, I'm just going to sign up and it's only like three months. So I'll have a piece of paper that says I can do this. And literally I was so nervous. I paid my deposit and like the first week of it, I looked through the syllabus and I was like, I already know every single thing. I have answers to all of these things. And I have answers that these people also don't have because they don't believe in God. And I remember God kind of sitting there looking at me like, didn't I tell you if I called you, I qualified you? I'm God. If whatever you need, I've already put in you and whatever you don't have, I'm going to give it to you. So why are you still Mm. trying to go and get it from somewhere else? So that's where I had to circle back to my own trauma history. Why am I still trying to qualify myself by something human and worldly if God has already qualified me? Mm. Why do I need somebody else to tell me that I'm good enough in order for me to do what I was created to do. I'm I'm living, I lived and breathed trauma. You can't teach me that in a program. You can't give me a degree in trauma. I lived it. I breathed it and I survived it. So that I think sometimes is more valuable than the piece of paper. So nothing, you know, formal for what I do. It was literally all just lived experience, my own, you know, research and what I get from God. And can, and can I say um, just something that you really said right there, you survived it. You're 26 now, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, Mm -hmm. there are many people who have gone through um, certain circumstances that you have and have not made it, you know, they, they haven't. And, and that could be either they didn't make it, uh, either they died or some of them are just not there Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but you can say by the power of God that you, that you're here today and so much Mm -hmm. so not only are you a survivor, a survivor, but you're actually helping others now to thrive too. And, and it's, it's mm-hmm. a, this compiling where, where you're breaking this cycle of trauma, where y- your children won't go through what you've been through because you know Amen. what you, what you are able to do because of your situation where God has brought you out of. And then, so breaking that cycle has blessed not just you, but the 10 generations after you. And and I think mm-hmm. that that's such a very uh, it's a very deep, beautiful understanding to the life that you have lived, and and it also shows how God can take someone from such a traumatic experience and and bless and still be able to bless other people mm. through that. Uh, and it takes a lot of strength, man. It takes a lot of strength because mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, like you like you said, you you're. You don't have to be qualified um, by someone else to know that you can help others. And and I think mm-hmm. you did the right course of action, right? You still got your life coaching uh, certification so you could do this properly. And- no, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I didn't. Nope. Dropped right out of the program. Never oh. even just read that syllabus that first week. Dropped right out. Oh. Never got the piece of paper. So, so, and there's no issues with you being able to do this um without some sort of certification? No. So coaching is coaching is not a regulated um, field. So coaching mm-hmm. is not um, regulated by any kind of body. 
um, yet. Okay. So they have different um, like federations where you can get like an official certification, but it's not regulated. So, and that's for any kind of coaching. So if you wanted to be like a business coach or mm-hmm. a fitness coach, you basically can just do that based on your lived experience. So that is one of the things that can be, you've got to use your discernment for people that are, you know, seeking any kind of mentorship because, because of the fact that coaching is not regulated, you could just throw up a business and, you know, claim that you have expertise in a way to, you know, teach and guide people and literally just be harming people in the process or giving them wrong, you know, misinformation or misguiding them. So that is why, once again, God has to be at the center of it because God has given you the Holy Spirit. And you can tell whether or not someone is authentic and whether or not they are qualified based on the fruit of their life. So if someone is trying to teach you and guide you into something that they themselves have not walked through and there is no proof that they have done it, mm-hmm. run. <laughs> run yeah fair enough anybody that's really working with god and has that you know qualification that you know it's that's biblical you'll see signs and wonders signs and wonders will follow people that have you know appropriate gifts and ministry and if they don't you need to be nowhere around them so so let me ask a question though how how has been the fruit of your labor in this how many people have you been able to help and and to guide through since you started this journey Oh my goodness. So I have coached about 20 people so far, which is crazy considering that it is November and I started in June. So the other crazy thing is that when I first started, yeah, I started in June. It's November and I've coached 20 people. And it's crazy because I thought, okay, you know what? I'm young, right? I'm in my twenties. I'm a woman. Like maybe I'm going to attract, you know, young women that have been through some of the kind of things I've been through. And that was exciting for me, but God said, I will draw all men unto me. So my first rotation, I coached mostly women. I coached two men and they were around the same age as me. Mm -hmm. My second rotation that just finished, I coached almost all men and most of them were older than me. And now my age range has expanded. So some of the people on my wait list are as young as 18, some of them as old as 50. So God has just, people, I always tell people when you're attracted to this program, it's not me that you're attracted to. It's him. Mm. It's his spirit that you're attracted to. It's what you, you're seeking something and you're responding to something that's a lot bigger than me. So it's all kinds of people in all kinds of places. So they're located all over the world, which is also super cool. So I've coached about 20 people so far, and I'm looking forward to coaching um, the people that have already signed up for the next rotation that starts in January. It's just exciting. I mean, the different people that are attracted to it and the different personalities of people I get to work with and their stories. It's just amazing. That's that's amazing. Wow. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say from June, what, July, August, uh, it's like four months. So that's, yeah. <laughs> to coach 20 people in that, in that period of time and people are using it and they're being blessed by it, they're growing from it. I think that that's amazing in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. let, let me ask you this question. How, because mm-hmm. for me, right, I'm, I work a lot with youth. I work a lot with uh um, yeah, I say, yeah, like young adults and everything of the sort. Uh, but I've always had this mm. passion working with, uh, younger, like especially teens. Cause I feel like that's a very, uh, strong period in their lives. And, and in order to help them, you know, get to get to the next point, you know, and to mentor mm-hmm. them to that next place, you know, how does someone like me or how does someone around the world, who, whoever it is, how can they make sure to help? someone who's gone through a journey like yours? I would definitely say honesty. That's, I think, the root of all healing. And I think it's where most people go wrong because 
a lot of the reasons why a lot of like young adults, especially, you know, like teenagers, they're struggling and they go astray is because nobody is actually keeping it real with them. Nobody is actually being honest with them. And I don't mean honest, like, okay, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about drugs. I mean, honest in saying like, yeah, I married the wrong person. And this is how I ended up in that space. Yeah, I don't know how to do this. I never learned that skill because of my childhood. Maybe we can learn that together. That kind of honesty, the honesty that requires you to heal yourself in order for you to be an example for them. So I think that honesty as far as where you are, what you do know and what you don't know is how you're going to be a guide, an appropriate guide to younger people. Because I struggled with like, you know, I got a lot of opportunities to work with youth and to coach workshops for youth. And I was like, I don't know how to connect to teenagers because I did not have a normal teen experience. Like, how am I going to connect to, you know, the general concerns I feel like teens have? And then I realized that that was the common denominator. Nobody was telling the truth. Nobody, Mm -hmm. they were seeing, you know, even the teens that were growing up in these Christian homes, they were learning about God and being told that they should live a certain way, not to dress a certain way, not to drink, not to have sex before marriage. But their parents were not living lives submitted to God. So they were growing up confused. You're telling me about God but you're not submitted to God. Then you had the people who didn't grow up with that foundation at all that were told they don't need it, but they're constantly seeing all this evidence that something's missing. So nobody was being honest. People weren't talking about their own boundary setting issues. Nobody was talking about their low self-esteem or their lack of confidence. Adults weren't talking about that. They had a habit of growing up, pretending that they're okay, that their childhood trauma isn't affecting them at all, and that they have a blueprint that you can follow when they know the blueprint is broken. So I think if, you know, people our age and the people that are older than us, the first thing that you can do, I think, to guide youth is admit that you didn't know what you were doing. And here's what you figured out from not knowing what you were doing. I think that's the best possible way you're going to give them any real insight is to just level with them. I'm trying to heal out of my stuff just like you are. But here's what I know so far. Okay, I I mean, I could take that for sure, Uh, (laughs) because. I would say one of the things, I think we talked about this in the very beginning, but transparency is is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kids mm-hmm. don't, uh, you know, the youth they they can see right through you, and and if you're not, yeah, you're not being real <laughs> with it, they're just gonna be like, all right, whatever, man, just <laughs> dip out. I had an mm-hmm. experience like that, kind of um, where uh, one of my first experiences when I was working at this school actually, I was talking to one of the youth. He got really upset, like really mad. Um, off of something really not that big, not that big of a deal. And mm. and I looked at him. I was like, listen, man, you're allowing people, when you get mad like that, you're not empowered. You're allowing people to control you. And he's like, mm. and you kind of see he was kind of like, what? I was like, bro, I used to get mad all the time. I had like a lot of mm. pent up temper and and I, I, I remember being just like you and thinking that I was empowered. And that conversation just like from that moment, you could just see a shift uh, between me and him. Mm-hmm. And, and it just allowed for us to have this this uh, this this um, closeness or this relationship because he knew I knew something uh, that he could relate to. And I was willing to talk about my failures, too, in that sense, just in that small little three minute conversation, you know. And so, it's yeah, yeah I agree. Being being uh, honest and being transparent. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know what? A lot of people don't like to do that because, you know, once again, it's like you have to... Oh, yeah. You have to, you know, be real about yourself, first of all. And then it's also to say, oh, mm-hmm. well, you know what? 
others are going to know my business and and it could it could put harm to me but truly at the end of the day you know what come what's in the darkness is going to come to light anyway in some way shape or form right that's what the bible says mm-hmm. and and the more we're honest with ourselves the more we're honest with god the more healing we can find through that too so i, I think yeah i think you're definitely right yes. with that um honesty transparency i think those are huge uh, ways for us to be able to reach mm-hmm. uh, the younger youth, especially Generation Z. They don't play around. And whatever generation is coming back, I'm like, my son is, what is he, a year? Yeah. A year and a half? I don't know, man. <laughs> like, like Buck, if, buckle up. Buckle up. <laughs> if for me, I'm I'm, I'm going to have to be real with that boy because I could tell he already has some sort of, some sense of maturity in him. I'm like, how does, like, where mm-hmm. is that even coming from? It's weird. Like, it's like, like, yeah, these these kids are they're built different. It's built different. I don't know what's going on. They're built different. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely definitely knowing like in my relationship, it's not to be explicit, right? I think some people don't mm-hmm. don't know that difference. They they think that you have to be explicit and, mm. and share every detail. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's um I don't think that's healthy. Uh, like I remember mm-hmm. I had I had kids you know asking me uh, certain questions like about sexuality and. And things that I've, I, mm-hmm. listen, I don't mind saying that I've done certain things in my past, but I don't have to tell right. you in detail what those things were. Right. Right. So yeah. I think, I think those are two different yeah. things as well that people sometimes um, mistake honesty and explicity with. So it, mm-hmm. it's something to, to definitely put into it. The whole thing about Madcasters <laughs> too is not just sitting down and, and doing nothing, right? It's being an active member mm-hmm. of society, being willing to change from within, and also being able to mm-hmm. to help others to to change as well, or to to bring light to other people's lives. Whether that be through your organization, whether that be through your own personal life, or whether that be through mm-hmm. coaching, like you do. So, how can you, or or how can our listeners? What do you think our listeners can take from this to say, okay? You know, I've heard your story. I've heard um, what you're doing as well to make a difference in other people's lives. We know how you made a difference in your life. What can I do now to make a difference in my personal life? How can I deal with my own trauma and how can I help others too? Yeah, so definitely make um, what I call like a a flow list. So you start with one concept first and then you build an actual action plan based on what your answer to that question is. So your very first question is going to be, what is in my box? What am I actually carrying around? So if you know my parents have a super volatile relationship, how is that affecting me is going to be your next question. I'm pissed about it. How are you dealing with your anger? Because if you're dealing with it by substance use, if you're dealing with it by taking it on on the partner that you're with, then that's something that you need to improve. That's going to be your first part of your action plan. I got to get control over how I'm regulating feeling about this. If you feel like, no, I've walked through some of my healing for, you know, anything that kind of sticks out to me as a trigger like that, do I know who I am? Because that's also in your box. Do I know who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, what my purpose is? Okay. Maybe I don't know. How do I figure out what my purpose is? I'm going to have to build a relationship with God because the only person that's going to know what I'm created to do is the person that made me. So if you don't have a relationship with God, that's going to be the next part of your action plan. How am I going to build one? That might look like starting just slowly digesting the Bible. That might look like introducing some gospel music to your car ride. If you feel like you're somebody who I definitely struggle with low self-esteem, I know that's in my box. I feel like I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm just afraid to do it. How am I going to increase my confidence? Are you caring for yourself? 
that would be part of your action plan. How do I implement more self-care? Am I going to start blocking out one day a week that I take better care of my, if I just spend one day doing things that I want to do, things that are just about me, do I set boundaries? If you're somebody who doesn't know how to tell people, no, you find yourself bending over backwards or people pleasing. I lack boundary skills. I need to start implementing some boundaries. So if you come to the answers to those questions and you feel like you get a lot of I don't knows, that's how you know you need guidance. That's how you know it's time for you to get therapy or a coach or a mentor. So your action plan is going to consist of things that you do on your own, tangible little things, journaling, introducing something new to your daily routine, getting yourself on a schedule. Those are things that you can do on your own. But if you start realizing that you are plateauing or you have answers to things, but you don't know how to dig into those answers, you need help. Somebody has some insight that you don't have, and now you got to seek out where you're going to get it from. That may even have its own subcategory. I need therapy. I can't afford it. Okay. What can you do in the meantime? Is there anybody offering like a shorter course that you can't afford? Do you know somebody who's a perfect fit for you and you know how much it costs? Are you ready to save for it? Are you invested enough to be disciplined enough to save for it? Does that lead you to another question? Am I disciplined? So anytime you sit down and just open up a notebook and make a list of what you're carrying around and who you are, honestly, it will show its action plan to you. It will reveal to you at least a five-step process of what you need to start doing to improve your life. And God will do the rest from there. Because as soon as you start checking the boxes of what is flawed about your character or what is misaligned about your life or your relationships, your purpose will start manifesting itself because the will of God is final and eternal and it's alive. So God's will will start to work its own self out as long as you are participating in it. So if you want to start healing and helping people, just start there. What am I, who am I and what am I carrying around? And it will, your list will make itself after that. Ajane Oliver, I must say this <laughs> was uh, a needed episode. Um, and I think it's going to bless. No. I know it's going to bless many, very many people uh, in a very, mm. very positive way. Uh, thank you again for just your transparency, for your mm-hmm. your authenticity, for being willing to share such a story that you know th- that involves a lot of of personal growth, that inlo- involves a lot of of things that had no that that you couldn't control either. But you were still mm-hmm. willing to show how in the midst of that journey, there are still things that you could have been accountable for, too. And overall, mm-hmm. it's a blessing to know that you are where you are today, that God is still working on you every single day, that we're still growing in our journey. We're still uh, allowing him to to help us to be the difference makers of a new generation and to, to strengthen mm-hmm. ourselves in him so we can help others. Uh, man, thank you. Uh, like I, I honestly, I'm just. This was a. This was a great. This You're was, so welcome. Yeah, this was a great episode, and um, I think once again, you know, it, 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 and just so you know, you know, I have not dealt with any sort of trauma like you have, right? Uh, but everyone has trauma mm-hmm. in their own in their own way, and mm-hmm. I actually, I think mm-hmm. I got. Uh, I mean, some people know my my trauma story, but I think it's going. I think I'm going to make. Uh, an episode just focused on that just a little bit more so about what I went through as well Amen. and how God God has taken me out of that and some of the things that I had to deal with in order for me to to come out of that so because like you said mm-hmm. transparency um, humility honesty are, are very key to our to our relationship and to our 
uh, walk with mm-hmm. God, but walk with other people as well. And so if you can't be real with the people, how are they supposed to be real with you? And so thank you, you know, for yep. doing that. And um and then and yeah, I'll be I'll be making sure that the next episode is is dealing with uh my trauma <laughs> <laughs> and, and how God has drawn me out Amen. of that too. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again. I appreciate you. Um anything anything you want to leave to our leave our listeners with one more time before we go? I actually want to pray for them. That's what I want to do. I think we should say a Let's prayer. Let's do that for sure. Okay. All right. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I am praying sincerely right now that every single person under the sound of your children's voices, that they are blessed. I pray right now that they feel your warmth, your love, your comfort. I pray that there's something that starts stirring down on the inside of them. I pray so sincerely that they are brave enough to start exploring all the parts of themselves that maybe they've been hiding. And I pray that they know and understand through my example and through the the presence that you're going to make known to them all on your own, that you are not condemning, that you are not angry with them, that you just want to be there for them, that you've always been there for them. So I really do pray that they start seeking you. You promised in your word that when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. And I have lived and breathed that truth. And I know that it's not special and unique to me. I know that it's available to anyone who wants to choose it. So I pray right now that your children will experience a divine intervention and encounter with you, that deep healing and restoration will take root in their souls and their spirits, and that they're going to take that healing and bless other people with it. no one else's name but Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Madcasters. Please leave a positive review if you like today's episode wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow us at Madcasters on Instagram, Madcasters on Facebook, and www.madcasters.com where you can sign up to our email listing. You'll be able to get updates, surveys, and many more surprises. You will also be able to access shows, blogs, book reviews, and spotlight organizations. So if you enjoyed what you heard on their episode, you can support their mission and their cause. If you would like to support Madcasters even more to fulfill our mission and vision, please go to Patreon page, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Madcasters. I'll be giving out a free book monthly to Patreon supporters, and there are many more surprises and special perks for Patreon supporters only. This is the end of our episode, but trust me, this is not the last. I don't know about you, but I am having a blast. But don't forget, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. Mad.